Hi, this is Megan McHugh, and this is the podcast of Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website. G'day, welcome aboard the Starship Zero G Science Fiction, Fantasy and Historical Radio for episode number 1353, entitled The Mysterious Island, Suffering mm-hmm. Succotash. <laughs> Our podcast title is Productions. I am Rob Jan. And Megan McHugh. And here we are once again, uh, miffling along to talk about the Melbourne International Film Festival 2021 in all of its cinematic and online glory. So the situation is always ever-changing, so I would urge you to jump onto the MIF website at MIF.com.au to check out the latest details on the schedule. So MIF has already started and it will be running until the 22nd of August and it will be running a dual program and that will be online on their MIF Play platform that is available at MIF.com.au and also hopefully running in cinemas if that is something that will eventuate. So the dates again are between the 5th and the 22nd and that is actually a pretty nice way to try to pass some of your lockdown. If you are in Melbourne, you can rent some of the MIF program titles to watch at home. And that is kind of how Rob and I are used to viewing them when we view our screeners at home in our PJs. And so that is another way to enjoy and experience MIF. And I would say check out the program and see if there's anything you would like to see and support this wonderful festival that has had to pivot quite a few times this year. Mm. Now, some points of recent genre interest just before we get into the myth. Scarlett Johansson's legal representatives are suing Mm -hmm. Disney for breach of contract and loss of income for streaming her Black Widow movie when it's alleged her contracts as star and executive producer guaranteed her an exclusive initial theatrical release. Now, this is important because of uh, what they call the the back-of-the-box office receipts that the stars and producers often have access to. They get a piece of the action. Yeah. And obviously if you put it out on streaming, it takes a chunk of that. As yeah. And Disney rather proudly announced at the time. <laughs> Yeah, and I think that and one of the big things is Disney wants to, uh, you know, release these multiple platform because then it attracts people to sign up for Disney Plus and that helps their business and gets more subscribers. But it is at the cost of the stars of these films getting their box office earnings. Mm. And the films also get cannibalised on the naughty pirate sites as well quite quickly when that happens, when it's released on streaming. Very true. Anyway, the other side of that also is that pandemic. Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, in Melbourne, Black Widow was shut out of our cinemas essentially as our cinemas were shut down the week mm-hmm. after it came out. So there was yeah. no other option. Well, there's a lot of detail in all this that we don't have time to go into today, but Disney has pushed back against the lawsuit. But it seems odd to me that the entertainment titan didn't see this coming. Mm-hmm. Or did they? You know, I don't know all the details. Uh, Warner Brothers, which hybrid released its entire 2021 movie slate, 
at the cinema and streaming ongoing, they negotiated a compensation deal with their profit-sharing talent. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. it'll be interesting to see how this plays out as Johansson's legal action will likely stir other talent partners yeah. with mm-hmm. traditional back-end-of-the-box office receipt profit-sharing arrangements to take similar steps. So mm-hmm. I've heard a few rumbles and stirrings about that too. Mm-hmm. Mm. Interesting. Meanwhile, speaking of Marvel on the small screen, we know that the She-Hulk live-action series stars science fiction cloning series alumni Tatiana Maslany as Jennifer Walters slash She-Hulk. It's mm-hmm. also been revealed that Mark Ruffalo will reprise his role as that character's cousin. Oh, that'll uh, be fun. Bruce Banner, a.k.a. the Incredible Hulk. Crossing over from the second Hulk movie, where Ed Norton had the title role, is mm-hmm. Tim Roth, who's going to be oh. the gamma-powered abomination again. Or will these, will these just be flashbacks? I don't know. <laughs> Interesting. Maybe maybe Jen gets to be She-Hulk because of one of those bottles of soft drink that were in the uh, South American bottling plant that Hulk's blood dripped into. I know... <laughs> Stan Lee got one of those, but who else might have got one? Interesting. I think I'm really looking forward to that one because I liked the She-Hulk comics that I read. And Mm. also I've not actually seen Orphan Black, and so I probably should. I really should. But I've heard she's exceptional in it, so I think that's a really nice choice. Now, Jen's best friend will be played by Ginger Gonzaga, who we saw as the angry young congresswoman in Space Force. (laughs) What a credit. What a credit, yeah. And Renee... Elise Goldsbury also appears, and she will be familiar to Altered Carbon series fans as she was uh, Quell Christ Falconer, the creator of the stack technology. And here's the the thing that uh, made me open my eyes really wide. The Good Places Jamila Jamil is playing She-Hulk's super-powered rival Titania. Oh, we we love her. That'll be really great to see her in something else. Yeah. So I, I can't wait to see those two go toe-to-toe and fist-to-fist. <laughs> now, in passing, I would also recommend you to the Golden Age musical satire musical comedy series Schmigadoon on Apple+, mm-hmm. Plus, and the excellently engaging vampire movie Blood Red Sky on Netflix. Okay. Check them out. We have also heard, of course, sadly, that um, – Jodie Whittaker and Chris Chibnall are no longer going to be part of Doctor Who in terms of the show um, ongoing. Um, right. Three okay. seasons and out has been the mantra for many a Doctor and uh, showrunner. And but not just yet because we've still got a season to appear and specials as well. I have enjoyed their time in the TARDIS uh, on the whole. They've had some good, bad and ugly episodes along the way. like every other one, you know. Yeah. Yes, let's riff off our Black Widow commentary just before and we'll have a track from the Black Widow movie by Lorne Balf and this is from The Shadows, from the soundtrack album, Black Widow. This is China Mievel, author of The City and the City and you're listening to Zero G on 3 Triple R FM, Melbourne. From the Shadows there, Lorne Balfe's soundtrack album. Now, Rob Jan. And Megan McHugh. And we're going to slide straight into the myth. 
So we last week we went ahead and talked a little bit about some of the horror and science fiction and fantasy picks that we had plucked out of the really quite heavily bulging program full of quality uh, as well as quantity. And so we went ahead and gave you some of those recommendations that you might like to check out. And we thought we'd continue this week and talk a little bit more about some of the historical picks as well as some of the miscellaneous picks that are usually things that just pop out to zero G as something of interest. So we thought we'd discuss a little bit more about the myth today. And you can find out details on all of the films we're going to talk about today at myth.com.au and details about tickets, locations, times, and all of that other jazz. So let's crack on with some of the historical picks. Right, opening up the hard copy of the guide and miffling through its pages as we do each year. Uh, An increasingly important part of recent MIF programs have been the interactive virtual reality experiences. In the historical mode, director Michael Beats this year presents artifacts, which is what it says on the tin, and that tin would be one that you would find in the archaeological digs associated with Melbourne's Metro Tunnel Project. And these are placed within their historical context in the film, Artifacts. Hmm. So this is in cinema, in a sense, because it's presented in the city's Campbell Arcade. So I think that'll wow. be good because I've watched that dig going on and, mm-hmm. and seen some of the artifacts already, you know, in, in real life. And mm-hmm. it's been an amazing journey back through time into Melbourne's past. Bridge to Soviet Topia, speaking of the past, is another VR work and it's directed by Marie Alice Wolfzahn. It's a triple-headed array of countries that's produced this one, Austria, Germany, and the Ukraine. And it takes you stalker fashion into the derelict zone of the USSR's monumentalized scientific and socio-political and industrial past. Shades of last year's poignantly realized adaptation of the Olaf Stapledon classic science fiction novel Last and First Men. And this one is presented online, Bridge to Sovietopia. Now, Directed by Stanley Quan is Center Stage, and it's restored in 4K. Amazing. For its 30th anniversary. It's uh, from 1991 originally from Hong Kong, and Mm -hmm. it's part biopic, part documentary, and it's on homage to Ruan Lingyu, Chinese silent movie star of the 1930s who tragically took her own life at age 24. Now, this is an intriguing echo of Maggie Chong's performance in 1996 Irma Vep because Maggie Chong is the actress who's playing Ron Lingyu. And she similarly played an actress in Irma Vep inhabiting the role of a 1920s French movie star in that film. So Mm. I feel like there's this sort of resonance going on between her and classical roles. That one is called Center Stage, and I think it's going to be a special one, that one. I've put Mm. a ring around that one to go and see. Chess of the Wind. Now, that's that's a great title. Great title. It's directed by Mohamed Reza Aslani. It's an Iranian film from 1976. Now, this is one of those always exciting cinema finds as a lost Iranian Gothic thriller. Wow, (laughs) that's cool. Yeah, 
It's restored to the world by Chance and the Martin Scorsese's The Film Foundation. Now, its Mm -hmm. plot would do any 19th century British melodrama credit as a Persian heiress fights to preserve her inherited fortune against all comers. Banned after its release in Iran, a film print was discovered in an antique shop by one of the director's children. So, you know, the story's there. That is so cool. (laughs) And they smuggled it out of Iran to evade further censorship. It's been newly restored and Chess of the Wind, well, this is like pre-revolution Iranian cinema and it's a masterpiece. Mm. It almost sounds as if Knives Out was directed by Visconti (laughs) in this (laughs) one. So that's something special, Chess of Mm. the Wind. Sometimes the historical section are films that are either set in a period or come from a deep period. 1970 being historical, I suppose, now. (laughs) This one is definitely a period piece, The Drover's Wife, The Legend Mm -hmm. of Molly Johnson. It's directed by Leah Purcell, who is an actor, writer and director, but very importantly, a Goa Gangari Waka Waka Murray woman from Queensland. So, yes, this is a much, much awaited adaptation of her own play and novel which was inspired by a Henry Lawson short story. So she's taken that Mm. and she's infused that with her own Indigenous story. So they Mm. kind of think about this one like uh, an outback western. There are many of those sorts of in Mm. the genre, Um, you know, from the the Hollywood uh, Quigley Down Under with Tom Selleck to, well, dozens and dozens of them that we've discussed before on the show. So this one is about uh, the title character, the drover's wife, Molly Johnson, and this is one of those typical ones where she's at home, she's got their four children, and he's off driving cattle. And this mm-hmm. is a typical frontier story of those days. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. off the, the, the mum is at home and she's going to have a hell of a time, as you can imagine. I won't go much further into that one, but this one has people like Rob Collins from A Clever Man in it. So one to look forward to, The Drover's Wife, The Legend of Molly Johnson. Rolling along through the cinema is one that Megan's had a look at, I believe, Girls, should we call it Girls Slash Museum? Because there's a vertical line between them two words. Yeah, they've really set us up to have interesting time with the title of this one. I have seen it written elsewhere as Girl Slash Museum, so let's go for that. So Girl Slash Museum are directed by Shelley Silver. Now, Shelley Silver is a visual artist, and she experiments a lot with mixing fiction with documentary, and she explores a lot of themes around cultural identity, and she's usually coming at these themes as an outsider, from an outsider's perspective, which I think is a really interesting way to tackle these themes. Uh, She has had exhibitions at the the Museum of Modern Art, various museums in Japan, and she's also shown her work at different international film festivals where they've shown pieces of her work and her video art. So this is a German documentary and it's in Dari and German with subs and it's pretty much uh, sort of an essay, a video essay, and it focuses a lot on art and art history and art movements and it's told with the perspective of focusing on the female gaze. So obviously art, as well as many things, have been curated through the years uh, through the lens of men, men's perspectives, men's thoughts on what's important, what's art, and also through the male gaze as well. Women are fetishized, condemned, idealized. Their role within art is varied and often, you know, something that, that isn't, isn't ideal. So 
This film follows a group of uh, girls and young women, various ages, I think between 7 and 19. Uh, So they're going to Leipzig's Museum of Fine Arts. And so this is where Silva has come along and is talking with these women and exploring art through their eyes and with their through conversation with them. And it looks at gender, gender depictions and so on. Uh, So its intention is to be thought-provoking and show a new perspective on some old concepts and um, old art movements and so on. And that one sounds like it would be pretty interesting, especially if you are interested in gender studies or art or interesting video compilations and video art as well. That one is Girl Slash Museum. Also in the historical catalogue of the myth this year, and this one definitely is a slash, Hopper slash Wells. (laughs) Now, this is from the 1970s, but has been put together now. It's assembled by producer Philippe Jan Reismer and editor Bob Murawaski. And it's two hours interview footage. It's grainy, black and white. So, you know, it's one of those ones where you can – don't actually have to imagine the smoke-filled atmosphere, I don't think. <laughs> and it's called Hopper slash Wells because Dennis Hopper in the 1970s was wrestling with his controversial The Last Movie. Mm-hmm. At the same time, Orson Wells was wrestling with his The Other Side of the Wind, which mm-hmm. we never did finish, but it was reconstructed and released back in 2018 and is streaming on Netflix as well. Not a plug there, just in case you haven't encountered that lost classic, as it were. Mm -hmm. So, okay, you've got these two cinema giants coming together and chatting for two hours. Can you imagine? Oh, the masculinity on parade, the slinging, so to speak, of certain bits. I can only imagine. What a what a follow. What an interesting follow up to the one we just spoke about, to Girl Slash Museum. Straight on into this piece, but it would be certainly very fascinating. Yes, I did not choose it deliberately for that. <laughs> it just worked out that way. <laughs> okay, that one's that one. I'm really looking forward to because it's just going to be mayhem. Yeah, chaos. The the only thing I could imagine that would be more fun, and I don't have to imagine it because I've seen bits and pieces of it, uh, would be an interview between Herzog and Klaus Kinski, you know, that same sort of thing, one in which perhaps they don't try and kill each other. But anyway, (laughs) (laughs) so Make No Sudden Move, which is the name of a film by Steven Soderbergh. Mm. This one is a period crime thriller set in Detroit in 1954. Mm-hmm. Here's the cast. Don Cheadle, Benicio Del Toro, mm-hmm. David Harbour, mm-hmm. John Hamm, mm-hmm. Amy Sametz, Brendan Fraser. Oh, Brendan! Ray Liotta, Julia Fox. The cast on this just says, I'm going to go and see this one. Kieran Culkin, I have a big soft spot for Kieran Culkin, despite he always plays like questionable characters. But the the cast on this, I mean, Soderbergh can pull them too. But this sounds a crime drama with these people. Sign me up. And it sounds very much like a caper movie too, you know, a bunch of penny ante crooks. They're going to be hired to babysit basically, you know, and it's, you know, that's all sort of going to, you go, oh, yeah, yeah, there's no real story in that. But you can bet it's going to go horrifically and spectacularly wrong. (laughs) So that's called No Sudden Move. 
Love it. By Steven Soderbergh. That one should be a bit of fun. The Painted Bird, directed by Vaclav Mahul from the Czech Republic, uh, Slovakia and the Ukraine. And this one is basically a young boy's passage through war-torn Europe. Mm. So it comes from a 1965 novel of the same name. And why it falls into Zero G's sort of purview is because it is actually set in the past. Mm-hmm. It is a, a novel that is quite strangely put together, and so is this movie by all accounts. And it stars Udo Kier, Harvey Keitel, <laughs> Stellan Skarsgård, and Julian Sands. So... This one's going to be a strange one, apart from the fact that they use a constructed language into Slavic. So they're trying to take it out of the realm of any specific nation. So there's all sorts of weirdness about this that uh, says zero G. I don't think this one is one for the timid. Uh, Yeah, there's a couple of advisory notes there as well on the content. Yeah, and as always, I do advise you to check out the advisory notes. Some of these films are more confronting than the title might lead you to believe the painted bird now this one speaking of birds remember that documentary we watched i am big bird the carol spinney story Mm -hmm. well this is street gang how we got to sesame street and this is directed by marilyn agrello and i cannot think of a better topic to soothe and balm the troubled soul at this particular time in history than a documentary about sesame street And this will take you from the genesis of the idea back in 1966 at a dinner party where they wanted to create a public access show that would be upmarket and kind of like a a TV commercial presentation. Mm -hmm. So it was the idea it would also be entertaining as well as educational. Mm -hmm. So the Muppets Mm -hmm. had already got their start in TV ads and, you know, the rest is history. And that's what will be taken through in this particular documentary called Street Gang. How we got to Sesame Street. <laughs> and I think we should probably have a bit of music now, just mm-hmm. to be going on with, so it's not always talk talk. <laughs> this is, after all, a, a, a moving soundscape, as it were, on Zero G today. Indeed. So the track that I thought we might play is there is a film in the myth this year called uh, Wolf Children, and that is playing, it's a lovely animation, and it is by the director Mamoru Hosoda. And Hosoda has also done the film The Girl Who Leapt Through Time, which both Rob and I thoroughly enjoyed and highly recommend. And so I thought I would select a nice little track from that. So this one is Kawaranai Mono terrible pronunciation but we'll push on also uh called unchanging things and this version is by jeremy ing and it's from his album anime piano so this is the track from the girl who leapt through time hi i'm george takei and i play admiral sulu in star trek welcome aboard the starship zero g admiral hey a guy can dream can't he How lovely. So that was Kawaranai Mono and that Unchanging Things. And that version is by Jeremy Ng from the album Anime Piano. And that piece is from The Girl Who Leapt Through Time, another film by Mamoru Hosoda, who also did the film Wolf Children, actually from 2012, but also playing this year at The Myth as well, if you want to check that one out. So let's crack on with some more historical picks, staying in the Asian region, I believe. Yes. It's by Kiyoshi 
Kurosawa, and the it is Spy no Suma. Mm. And Kurosawa, not those Kurosawas, either one of them, <laughs> is a Japanese film director, screenwriter, film critic, and a prof at Tokyo University of the Arts. Mm. He's done a lot of different genres in film, but on Zero G, we know him most for Japanese horror, Woohoo! including Journey to the Shore and Loft and Doppelganger, as well as mm. Pulse. This particular film sits in the historical era because it's in 1940 and mm-hmm. it's set in Japan. So the war's really just all cranking up uh, a bit earlier, actually, before, too, if we're talking about um, the invasion of China. And essentially, this is one of those sorts of a little bit noir sort of film. Mm-hmm. So uh, crimes and punishments and... Lots of fine acting from all involved, I hope, because I haven't actually seen it. So there's um, a whole bit of messing around with the military police and betrayal, loyalty and betrayal, Mm. you know, those sorts of themes. So one to check out at the MIF this year, Kiyoshi Kurosawa's Spy No Tsuma. That's T-S-U-M-A if you're trying to find it in an alphabetical listing. All right, so. Rolling over into the next one. I just like the title of this, I have to say, The Witches of the Orient. Yes. (laughs) Directed by Julian Ferrat. And he is basically this story is about the Japanese women's volleyball team. Mm. (laughs) So he's and I mean he's a a filmmaker who does a great sports doco because he did John McEnroe in the realm of perfection. Very well celebrated film, and I love that they, this is a whole story focused on the Japanese women's volleyball team and how they turn. You know, they were so successful, and they also turn like this moniker, which is of the Orient, which is a derogatory <laughs> naming they received, and they reclaimed that. I think that's really great. Mm. And for me, the zero G connection was the fact that <laughs> they inspired a range of manga characters mm. and an anime series as well, as they should. Yeah. <laughs> So that's it. That's about Zero G's connection to the Olympics. Apart from the fact that they played um, uh, video game music at the opening ceremony. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. The Witches of the Orient. That flips us over into the miscellaneous section. <gasps> wow. What a great range of history. All kinds of different historical bits and bobs there. Mm. But, yes, so oftentimes we do stumble across some miscellaneous picks that we just can't not mention. Uh, and so this one is actually a lot of people love to mention uh, this next film, which we're going to plonk into the miscellaneous category, and that film is Annette. And now Annette is directed by the much-talked-about French director Leo Carrat. I should have looked up how to say his name. I think that's probably close to right. Uh, he also did the film Holy Motors, which I saw as part of the MIF in 2012 when I first moved to Melbourne, one of my early MIFs. And he also did a short in the film Tokyo with an exclamation point that was released in 2008. So he's quite well known for being a bit mind-bending, a little bit weird, a little bit strange, but very accomplished. So this film, uh, the key cast is what's going to get you a bit interested. It is a co-production between Belgium, France, Germany, USA. Technically, it's 2021 film as well, so it's doing a lot of the festival circuits, and it's in English and French. Let me start with the premise of it. Give, let's set the scene. 
I want to spend a little bit of time ruminating on this one because it's in it's a kooky one. So it's a musical, but it's a musical that's very self-referential and is meant to actually deconstruct musicals and fame and so on. What I thought was very interesting is that it's sung live. So instead of the actors pretending to sing or singing on set, but then having a dub over later in post-production, they're singing live, whatever's sung, that's what's in the film. I thought that was very interesting. And one of the things that has the internet ablaze, of course, is there is a famous bedroom scene uh, in the film and there's also uh, a musical bedroom scene, let's say, and there is an interesting casting choice of there's a a puppet involved uh, as one of the characters. So it's the usual uh, ambitious, thought-provoking, kind of wants to get people talking type of film that we've come to expect from Leo Carrar. So the music was composed by Russell and Ron Mayle. I'm sorry to everybody who knows that I said that probably wrong. Now, they are most famous for being in the band Sparks, and this is this film and this music is something that they've wanted to work on for a long time. So this film did open the Cannes Film Festival, and it is going to be available on Amazon Prime. They already have that deal locked in. And the film is ostensibly about a couple's relationship and their daughter, Annette, the title character. Now, who is the couple that we're going to be following in this film? So we've got two heavy hitters here. Marion Cotillard plays an opera star in Annette. We've seen her, of course, in The Dark Knight Rises, the Justin Kurtzel's Macbeth, which is fantastic in my opinion, the less fantastic Kurtzel version of Assassin's Creed, great video game, less great film. She was also in Contagion, little fresh to mention that one in this day and age, and Inception, the... um, self-referential, recursive inception. And opposite her, uh, coming coming with the same gravitas, in my opinion, is Adam Driver. He of the famous Burberry ad, if we're, if we're all up on what's going on in the internet lately. So Adam Driver plays a stand-up comedian in the film Annette. Now, I was looking at Driver's repertoire because I've, I know a lot of what Adam Driver's been in. Of course, he was Kylo Ren slash Ben Solo in the Star Wars where he worked with J.J. Abrams, Ryan Johnson. We saw and really enjoyed watching him in The Man Who Killed Don Quixote where he worked with director Jer- Terry Gilliam. I actually really loved him in the film Logan Lucky, who was directed by Soderbergh, who we mentioned earlier uh, in the program, and he was in Spike Lee's Black Klansman. Additionally, he worked with Scorsese on a film called Silence, which is based on a Japanese novel. And also, he's also worked with the Coen brothers, Spielberg, Noah Baumbach, Clint Eastwood, and Jim Jarmusch. So he's pretty much got your log list. Oh, I mean, they're all male directors of pretty great directors. And Adam Driver has worked with them all. And now he can add Leo Carrar to the list in the very interesting and probably got to see it to believe it, uh, musical that is about fame and relationships and what fame does to a couple, uh, that film is Annette. And that is one of the, I think, the big headliner type films that is going to attract a lot of people, I think, this year uh, to the myth. All light everywhere. Now, this is uh, another film in an area that Megan and I have been looking at quite a bit over previous myths. Yeah, it's actually been really great to have a look at some of the docos that delve a little bit more into technology and some of the implications of technology. So this one, All Light Everywhere, directed by Theo Anthony. Now, Theo Anthony also directed something called Rat Film, 
which came out in 2016. And that was a video essay that he made about inequality, poverty, and segregation. And it was framed around a rat infestation that happened in Baltimore, which is where he's from. So he kind of drew these parallels between some of those themes and what was happening in the city at that time. So this film similarly deals with themes of race and class. And last year for the myth, which we did see online, uh, we talked about Coded Bias, which was a documentary that focused on biases that are inbuilt into AI and machine learning. And over the past year or two, um, we've seen a lot of interesting documentaries come out that deal a little bit more about technology and its implications. This particular film sort of wants to start a bit of a discussion around You know, we've seen a lot of instances in the media about police brutality, something which we know has been happening for a long time and continues to happen in large volumes. Uh, But it's been a bit more talked about of late, as well as police conduct and things like that. And so this film delves in a little bit about the intersection of those kinds of social issues and the role of technology. So the biases that are in surveillance technology and in this case more specifically police body cameras and it does start to question how objective these this footage can be, how is it used, and how prejudice can, is built into the tech surrounding law enforcement, things like cameras, software, and the systems that will go on to use the footage that comes out of these this technology. So it starts by looking at the 2015 murder of Freddie Gray by Baltimore police and then starts to talk a bit more about the origins of the kinds of tech, body cameras and so on, and different things used in law enforcement and includes looking at guns, tasers, body cams and how all those things intersect together and how we rely on surveillance technology and does it in fact reflect any form of truth and what does it say about our society? So I think these are very important questions and I'm very interested in seeing any documentary examination uh, and anything that explores these kinds of issues. So that one is all light everywhere. And here's another question <laughs> as a film, a questionable film. Uh, are you lonesome tonight? It's directed Ooh. by Wen Shipei. It's a Chinese film from 2021. And I mentioned this one because it's got Eddie Peng in it, who I mm-hmm. remember from Tai Chi Zero and Tai Chi Hero, but also because it's got those key words for Zero G, psychological crime thriller. Ooh, <laughs> we love those. <laughs> yeah. Now, I think Wen Shipei might be uh, one to watch as a director. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. you know, put a little post-it note there for now. And it's set in southern China during a power outage in summer. Mm -hmm. So then you get three people getting thrown together. So you get that sort of feeling that this is all just kind of ad hoc, but there are other things built into it as well that will Mm -hmm. lead you into not an homage of an Elvis Presley song. (laughs) 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 something a bit more thrilling i think this one sounds like it'll be quite the ride Mm. are you lonesome tonight bodiless is directed by sin chin huang and this is a taiwanese film and it's essentially one of those ones where i feel like the making of this film and the style of the film brings it into zero g sort of area Mm -hmm. and basically Again, it's another look at a bit of technological terror in this case, Mm. a bit dystopic as we look at digital technologies that are used to go through time in a way. So they've got this sort of surreal feeling to this film and it's uh, kind of 
conjuring up the director's own experiences during the 1970s martial law period in Taiwan. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's going to be a bit immersive and surreal and contrasting the past with the present and a bit political Mm -hmm. too, I should imagine, Mm. bodiless. And I guess that's the way we feel with a lot of technology. All right, less probably strange but ultimately just as chilling is Todd Chandler's Bulletproof documentary. Now, I don't Mm -hmm. think I need to say too much more about this than that it's an American film and director Chandler looks at the commercial aspects of preparing America's schools for the next inevitable school shooting. Mm. So this is one of those unfortunate areas of technology that's probably underplaying it way too much. Bloody tragic interactions Mm. of technology with human beings. Mm. And sometimes that's where zero-G goes because, you know, science fiction indeed, at least we would hope so in this case, but unfortunately not. And that's Bulletproof by Todd Chandler. I would expect that's going to be a very confronting Mm. film as well. So be warned. Uh, A cop movie by Alonso Rui Palacios, Mm -hmm. who's a Mexican filmmaker, and he's given us films like Gueros in 2014 and Green in 2016. Mm -hmm. And this is basically about two cops who are partners, Teresa and Montoya, and they're basically trying to work within the corrupt institution that is the police force in this particular area. But at the same time, you will also find that this movie is blurring the fourth wall or maybe just putting Mm. it in, you know. So you're going to get that whole sort of uh, reality versus fiction approach in this one. And I think think we're in Mexico City here. Ah, good, yes. Mm -hmm. And and that's why this feels like a zero-G film and it's uh, called A Cop Movie. Mm -hmm. Rolling over into one that's definitely a zero-G film, (laughs) it's Fist of Fury and we all know that film. It's, uh, you know, this is um, Bruce Lee in Low Wise film, the classic one that's set in 1930s Shanghai with all of its martial arts Mm. up there on the screen. So anyway, what's happened with this one is inspired by, and you may remember this one, uh, the 2013 dub of Star Wars Episode Four, where they did a dub into Navajo. Ah. In this one... They've dubbed it into Noongar, which is an Indigenous Australian language. <laughs> so I think that's going to be great. Mm, going to I think it, that's such an awesome idea. Yeah, it's going to make it very relevant. And, I mean, why would you not want to see that? <laughs> so, okay, check out Fist of Fury at the Melbourne International Film Festival dubbed into Noongar. All right, so the gig is up and pretty much this is another documentary about technology in this case Mm -hmm. an app directed by shannon walsh and she's given us many other films about certain technological issues including the very catchily titled h2 oil Mm. and this one what just tells you about the costs of the gig economy Oh, I think this is a very interesting one for our time because I know especially during lockdowns in the last couple of years, we've had a lot of people leaning on apps like Uber, Deliveroo, 
and so on and, you know, that technology and really powering the gig economy, but what side effects is that having and, you know, what ethics is there to consider? I mean, this is a very timely doco and I think something that we should all engage with a bit more considering I think we all take advantage of the conveniences of these apps Mm. at what cost. In a way, these are zero-G sort of style because we're looking at the world of tomorrow today, essentially. Totally. Mm. And we love to talk a little bit about, I mean, as someone who works in tech, I really like, you know, a, a hearty discourse about the good side as well as all of the implications that come with that. Now, I think we were talking vaguely about Adam Driver in uh, Jim Jaramish's uh, The Dead Don't Die Before. Yeah. We, we alluded to that. And in that film is Tilda Swinton. Love Tilda. The Human Voice is a film by Pedro Almodovar, and he's a Spanish film director, screenwriter, producer, and a former actor. I like the way they put that. <laughs> Chuck that in. Uh, but did a film called Volva in 2020 yeah. with Penelope Cruz. And I enjoyed that film a lot. And I thought, oh, this one looks interesting. And then I found out that it had Tilda Swinton in it. It's mm-hmm. a new movie. So thought, it's his first English language film, which is pretty yeah. interesting. Because Almodovar has been obviously in Spanish for a long time, has a huge collection of very usually steamy and sultry films to check out. So I'd be interested to see his English language one. Mm. All right, so this is actually loosely based on um, a play of the same name by Jean Cocteau from 1930s. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's a there's a, a little uh, bit of historical element, elements thrown in there, as well as Tilda Swinton. Why do we automatically assume that it's going to be a bit strange? <laughs> now, this one definitely is a bit strange, The Justice of Bunny King. Oh. And it's directed by Gason Thavat. It's a New Zealand film, and it mm-hmm. stars Essie Davis. Ah, Miss Fisher herself. Yes. The combatant who battled off the Babadook. Also Lady Crane in season six of Game of Thrones and Sister Ipanema in Lambs of God. And, of course, Ellen Kelly in True History of the Kelly Gang. And here she is once again essentially defending her children from not a mysterious unknown force in this case but a predatory husband. So that one I think will work for Zero G just from the title alone. The Justice. the Justice of Bunny King. All right. So speaking of Tilda Swinton, Memoria is a film by Apichatpong Werasethakul, who's a Thai independent film director, screenwriter, and film producer. And mm-hmm. they were actually working outside of the Thai film studio system with some films whose titles intrigue me mysterious object at noon this one i don't even know how to approach it's called the adventure of iron pussy so i'll just leave it at that uh, and uncle boon me who can recall his past lives cemetery of splendor and now memoria which won the prize to jury at the 2021 Cannes film festival and this is produced mm-hmm. by so many countries they deserve their own credit list including Colombia, France, Germany, Mexico, Qatar, and Thailand and the UK. Hmm. (laughs) And why do I mention this? Because it has Tilda Swinton. Once again, she is starring in this as a Scottish orchid farmer who's trying to help out her sister, who's very unwell, in Bogota. Hmm. So there's a lot of uh, dream sort of states going on in this one. 
a little bit of fantasy elements, uh, ghostly happenings and so on. Memoria. I will just shout out a couple quickly. So one to watch, especially if you're a Nicolas Cage fan, we do have Michael Sarnowski's Pig and it stars Nicolas Cage. Big fave of some. Some not not so much, but I think we can all agree that he's an he's an interesting character. So this is a sort of a revenge film, and it involves a truffle pig. And basically, Cage stars as a a solitary truffle hunter, lives alone, and then he has his beloved pig as company. And yet, the pig is pignapped, <laughs> and so Cage must uh, unleash the beast within and go and find his pig and also confront his past and, you know, all that usual stuff. So that one is called Pig. I'm sure there's a lot of you out there would be very interested in seeing that one. Also another one to call out to keep an eye on is Riders of Justice. That one is from Denmark and it is directed by Anders Thomas Jensen. That one stood out to me because it stars Mads Mikkelsen, Mads Mikkelsen, who we know and love from many different, uh, many different roles. But this is a, uh, satirical black comedy it's a bit of a revenge film uh scandinavian and so basically it stars mads as a single father who uh is trying to figure out exactly what happened to his wife and then go on a a ride of justice i guess to figure out exactly what happened and still be a good parent and still recreate havoc as much as as he possibly can so i think this one's going to be violent weird interesting and bit noirish and that one is writers of justice mm. hmm. yeah. I, i've also heard that that nicholas cage one isn't quite as mad as cage's other revenge movie <laughs> one of his other revenge movies <laughs> uh, mandy so he, oh yeah he's actually dialed back in this pig i think movie. he's He's got a bit of the mix of when he's gone full Mandy and when he does his more serious roles like adaptation and so on. Yeah. So I think it's a bit of a blend of serious cage and silly cage, which I'm here for. But not uncaged. No. no. <laughs> Uncaging the pig, which was stolen. Ah. <laughs> the usual mayhem and madness and myth as <laughs> we look at the 2021 MIF, the Melbourne International Film Festival. We've been doing that since 1994, and we're still doing it. <laughs> yeah, because it's such a great time of year, and there's something for everyone. And now with the inclusion of an online program that you can access through Myth Play and watch safely at home, hopefully everyone will be able to get along to a session if there's something that interests them. I think that's about it for today's Zero-G. If you haven't been taking notes, and why would you, you will be <laughs> able to find lists of the films that we've selected on Zero G's Facebook page, which is basically Zero G on Triple R. Yep. Or you can go to rrr.org.au. Yeah, we'll upload all of the titles with links to the MIF program and then we'll put that on the page as well. So you'll be able to follow all of this up if there's anything that floated your boat. Mm. Or sunk it. They all We all float down here. Exactly. <laughs> Always time for a King It reference. Yes. All right. That's about it for Zero G. Thank you to our podcaster, Kayla Larson, and mm -hmm. thank you to our partners, in my case, Gail. Yes, and Carl. Thank you very much. And thank you to the MIF as usual. 
let us go out before Joe Brunatic comes up next with Astral Glamour. We will head out with a Bowie track. The stars are out tonight. This is from his album, The Next Day. This was, of course, selected because the video stars Bowie and actress Tilda Swinton. So we've had a bit, lot of love for Tilda this episode, so I thought that I would play this track to further celebrate her with a Bowie connection uh, because we love to play our weekly Bowie. Thank you, Rob. Thank you, Megan. And here we go with Bowie's The Stars Are Out Tonight. G'day, this is Rob Jan. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website.